This is Josh Motenko with the Celtics Pride Podcast. We recorded the pod late last night, trying to get it to you early this morning, and of course, right when we were done recording, it was reported Drew Holiday is being sent to the Milwaukee Bucks, Robert Covington to the Portland Trailblazers. Such is the life here at NBA Podcasting, where all of a sudden some of this content is now old. But without further ado, an interview with Celtics insider Keith Smith on Celtics Pride. Welcome to the Celtics Pride podcast on Celtics Blog. I am Adam Motenko here, as always, with twin brother Josh Motenko. That's right. I'm excited. Let's do this. And our good friend Mike Minkoff. It's the most wonderful time of the year. It's the transaction window time. And we have a special guest tonight, Keith Smith, NBA writer at Real GM, Yahoo Sports, Celtics Blog, most importantly. Keith, thank you, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, for sure, guys. Happy to do it. So we are recording this on uh, Monday evening, coming out Tuesday morning. Uh, we wanted to talk about some of the things happening in the uh, off-season landscape with the NBA. Uh, the NBA draft is coming up on Wednesday, but uh, today is day one of the trade mor- moratorium going away. So we've got a couple of, of deals happening already. Um, LA trading number 28 to uh, and Danny Green to OKC for Dennis Schroeder. Chris Paul go and Abdel Nader, old friend Abdel, going from OKC to the Suns for Rubio, Oubre, Ty Jerome, Jalen Leck, and a number one pick with protections. Zanon Musa for Bruce Bowen. There's a ton of rumors out there. Uh, Keith, let's just start with, with what else are you hearing? Any murmurs, rumors you want to share with us? And then we can get into some of the trades that have happened before hitting some rumors. Yeah, there, there's kind of a couple things going on right now, and it's it's it feels like it's because of this whole condensed off season, but it really isn't. It's it's just draft week, right? We're just kind of now we're into normal um, draft week stuff. So you've got the teams that are really focused on the draft that are they're they're doing everything that they're doing is based around the NBA draft. They're talking trades up, trade back, those kind of things. Then you've got the teams that are, let's just say, a little less focused on the draft, a team like the Houston Rockets who doesn't have any picks in this year's draft. What they're going through right now is their two best players are basically saying, yeah, we're good, we want to go. Can, can you trade us? And that is, um, you know, that's kind of dominating everything right now around the NBA. And then you've got, you know, teams are prepping for free agency. Guys are opting in and out of their contracts and those kind of things. So so that part's a slight bit different because that those kind of things usually would be would happen after the draft. So so we've got kind of all of that going on. And then for the Celtics specifically, their big thing is Gordon Hayward's uh, player option is coming right up. Uh, then the draft with four draft picks, including three first rounders. So they're you know active as always. Austin Ainge, the assistant GM, told us today, or I guess he's the director of player personnel. I should be clearer on that. Um, he told us today, you know, that right now they're um, you know full on in. 
conversations and all those kind of things and just, you know, really uh, following everything and resetting their draft boards and doing what they need to do. So you mentioned Hayward, uh, a couple of options. Folks have opted in. Some people, Batum, others that were unsurprising. DeMar DeRozan opted in, and uh, Hayward has until 5 p.m. tomorrow on Tuesday, Tuesday at 5 p.m., to decide. uh, What do you think is going to happen there? Yeah, it's going to be interesting to, you know, see this because there's two lines of thinking here if you're Hayward. If you opt in, he becomes trade eligible at the draft. Uh, I'm not necessarily expecting that that's what happens, um, but but that, you know, could be that that could be in play. If Boston has a opportunity to make a move for somebody and add draft picks, they can do that. Whereas if his option was still pending, you can't trade a pending free agent. So it gets a little harder because let's say you you arrange this great deal and then Hayward's like, I don't want to go to, you know, City X and then he he opts out, you that becomes a mess and that whole deal falls apart and and it's really not a great thing. So so if he opts in, he's trade eligible. If he opts out, he's clearly not trade eligible. But then that starts to leave you with, all right, is he leaving? You know, what's happening here? What what are we doing? Um, that's a long way to answer to answer your question. Um, or not answer it, I guess. Uh, but my thought on Hayward is I think it is more likely that he opts in. It's just so much money. Um, he's not yeah. going to get that back on the open market. There's not a team who's going to give that to him. Um, there's really not even a team that's that's realistically in play in a place to give him that kind of money. So I, I think he will opt in. Now, does that mean he stays with Boston long term? That's a little more shaky, just because that that's you know a big piece to go towards a long way in salary matching and any trades and those kind of things. But I do I tend to believe he's going to opt in stay in Boston and he'll play out this season and then we'll kind of go through all of this all over again uh, in the summertime. I've got, I've got a couple, I've got a couple questions for you, Keith, on that. Um, one, if he, if he did the, the op, the, the approach that you think might be less likely, which is opt out, how, how much time would the, I mean, how viable would a re-signing with the Celtics be at that point? And like what on what timeline or is that basically off the table? Like what what's the clock look like there? Yeah, no, certainly not off the table by any means. Um, if he opts out, then what that means is he becomes a free agent on Sunday um, when when the league gear changes over, and then Boston could re-sign him to a new new deal then. And that's something that some people have thrown around as an idea of you know opt out, and then maybe he takes you know a hundred million dollars over four years, which is you know spreading that money out while lowering his his average annual salary, um, especially his salary for this coming season. And and that could help the Celtics with the tax, maybe even if with a combined with some other moves, free up the bigger uh, mid-level exception and those kind of things. So, so that, I would say that's on the table. I just think it's a little less likely because my guess would be Hayward would rather um, play it out, get his thirty-four million, and see where everything stands. I know it's easier for us to say, you know, man, this guy's never healthy. But players don't think that way. They are always of the mindset of, I'll make it through the next year fine. You know, I will be healthy. So I think you know he and he's still young enough and good enough 
that he can, you know, afford to bet on himself and, you know, figure, you know, get, get back in there and really see where he's at. So, so I think that's, you know, a little less likely, but there's nothing stopping that from happening. And there's no real clock on that either unless you know the celtics really started dragging their feet for some reason and then hayward was like all right i'm not waiting anymore i'm gonna get something done with another team question you have to ask there though is who's that other team because there's only a handful with cap space and he's not a great fit on any of those uh clubs we still have bird rights on him right correct yep yeah nothing changes with that so uh, the other question I had for you, Keith, is so when we had our last episode, we were talking about the the direction the new CBA appeared to be going at that time. It wasn't it wasn't uh, as as finalized <laughs> as it's become in the intervening time. Um, and at that time, it appeared that they were going to be smoothing the escrow at eight percent over the first two years. So eight uh, additional eight percent, I should say. So eighteen percent. Um, and it looked like it was going to be 18% this year and next season. And now it looks like they've shifted that. So it's the, the normal 10% this year and then 18% in subsequent years. Do you think something like that shifts the calculus meaningly, meaningfully for someone like Hayward in the way he approaches, whether to opt in or not? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, I, I think it could a little bit i think you know his agent is hopefully doing doing his work his job and is um you know making sure that he understands the full financials because yeah if it was going to be a huge escrow hit this year and then that escrow hit would have come down over the you know uh coming seasons beyond this season it would have been there could have been you know a lot of uh benefit to opting out re-signing a new contract and taking less of a hit this year but where it's you know really at the normal level now it's it it doesn't really change anything from hayward from a normal standpoint he's gonna see as much money go out as he would have you know in a regular type season so i don't i don't think that you know changes anything there it just makes that opting out for any financial reason beyond I want that longer term security that that's not really there anymore. That's no longer viable. My sense all along was that, was that uh, Gordon's agent has been basically doing his job, like you said, and and trying to drum up an extension that gets guaranteed money this year, either with the Celtics or with another team. Um, And so I, I have assumed that a, uh, sign and trade is is an option here as well that we haven't really talked much about. There's been rumors that the Knicks are interested. I think the Knicks are interested in everyone. There's been rumors about uh, Indiana, Miles Turner, and others coming back. There's been rumors about New Orleans uh, for uh, Drew Holiday. Uh, what do you make of all of these rumors around Gordon Hayward sending him out to to those places and or, and this idea that? Uh, that his agent is really might just be trying to get the Celtics to, to basically extend him. Yeah, it's um. So there's a couple things here. Let's talk about that Knicks part first. Hey, I know it's the Knicks, and they rarely do things that make sense. Um, but I don't think that's going to be the case uh, this this time. It's a new front office. They really yeah. seem to be turning over a new leaf and trying to do things in a much. Uh, smarter way so i i think that's more of a wow the knicks have a whole bunch of cap space they're interested that just seems like that's kind of throwing crap against the wall and hoping for the best so so i'm not that that one i don't have a lot of faith in i guess now 
opting out and then doing a sign-in trade to a place like Indiana, that gets really hard because the Pacers aren't that far under the um, the tax apron. And if you acquire a player via sign-in trade, you become hard-capped at the tax apron. And that gets right. really messy for the Pacers because then you know they're, they're going to give give something up. They're going to bring in Hayward. You have to still build out the rest of your roster. And that gets, you know, really hard for, for them to do. So, so I think what would be more likely is he would opt in and get traded versus, you know, do doing a whole opt out sign and trade that just adds a, a layer of complexity to it that, that I don't think really has any real bearing on you know reality. I think it would be more likely they would just he'd opt in and then they they would go and make the deal off of that, you know, off of his number this year. So, yeah, I, I don't know about that. The other piece I want to touch on too, just to be clear on this, is um it's highly unlikely that the Celtics extend Hayward. Um and I know these terms often get thrown around as you know, they're interchangeable, but they're really not. It, it is important. Um, if they were going to extend him, what what that would mean is he would opt in for this current year, and then they would add years to to this year's deal, um, and add a new salary. It is more likely that he would opt out, re-sign with the Celtics on a new deal. It's not an extension. It would wipe out this year's money because it would be important for Boston in that scenario to lower his salary this year to help ease that tax burden and free up some additional flexibility. And then we trade him, right? And then we trade Oh, wait, sorry, sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, Josh, you can't. Yeah, you could, if he opted out, they re-signed him. Um, there, there would be a limit on the before they could trade him, um, and that would also be an extremely bad look. Exactly. Um, yeah. You know, and so yeah, that's not going to happen. If he's going to get traded, it's going to be because he opts in and gets traded. It sounds like if he opts out, we would expect to hear what that means. He's opting out, and such and such is happening. Uh, I mean, you would hope. The challenges, I think a lot of us went there with Al Horford in that yeah. situation, you know, just a year ago, and then he left. Now, what's different is there's not right Hort as much as that ended up a really messy fit and was, you know, off. There were a whole bunch of teams that were interested in Al Horford. He just chose Philadelphia. Um, but with Hayward, and there's competitive not, teams too. Teams. Correct. That's the challenge is as you look around, you know, where's Hayward going to go? Is, does, does he want to go to Atlanta and be kind of, you know, their veteran there? Maybe, but probably not. Is he going to Charlotte? No. Is he going to Detroit? No. Is he going to Miami? No. Because um, they're not going to give him any kind of long-term deal. Phoenix is now off the table, so that leaves the Knicks. He doesn't really make sense there. So that would leave it having to be via sign-in trade. And again, I go back, if that's what was going on in these conversations, even though they're not supposed to be happening they're happening right now it's you know hey would you be interested in this you know what about this what about that and those things are all going on so if there's a team that's going to trade for him they're likely to trade for him after he opts in for the 34 plus million and then they move that way meanwhile next season there's a lot more cap space available teams are hoping for Giannis and the ones that don't get him are going to have some money to throw around Yep. Yeah, about, I projected about half the league to have uh, cap space and then about seven or eight teams to have full max cap space to be able to give at least one max contract offer out, maybe a couple. So, yeah, so it'll be a completely different environment uh, next offseason. Now, the tricky part for Hayward is 
This year, he would be very much a big free agent fish in a pretty small pond because right. this free agent class is not very good where next year's free agent class could be loaded. But those three or four or five true superstars, they'll go quickly. They'll eat up a whole bunch of the space. And then there'll be other teams left with a bunch of space and they still don't have anybody. And then it's like, you know what, Gordon Hayward for $25 million sounds pretty good. You know, what do you think? And that's where, you know, Hayward could make out that way. Yeah, so on on that twenty five million dollar a year figure, you know, if if there was if the Celtics and Hayward did come to terms on something like a four year hundred million dollars, do you think that that's uh, an appropriate market price for for Hayward, or like uh, I guess maybe a better way to say it is an appropriate price for the value he brings on the court? Yeah, I do. I I think you know for what he can do at. You know, um, you know, he's, his numbers were great across the board. What was he like, seventeen, seven, and five, or so in that range? Yeah. Um, shooting numbers were really good. He was almost a fifty, forty, ninety guy. You know, as a, as a shooter, that's you know really, really good. I think he also has the right mindset where he is perfectly capable of taking over games at times but he understands this is jason tatum and jalen brown's team and then you know just behind those two on the pecking order is kemba walker so i think he knows i'm the fourth guy here my job is to you know make shots move the ball i think as long as gordon hayward is involved which they did you know when he was healthy they did a great job of you know getting the ball he was really kind of their one of their best playmakers in the um half court offense because he handled the ball a lot he does a lot off cuts and offsets and those kind of things it just may not end with him shooting but i think he's okay i think he understands and gets that so i think overall for gordon hayward you know if you're gonna pay if you were if you were kind of taking it out of or taking it in a vacuum and not considering his past injury history and all those kind of things you would look at those numbers and a lot of teams would be like i'll pay that you know, for a guy who's, you know, 30, but he's in, you know, relatively good shape, um, you know, minus the, the you know, weird injuries he keeps having. Um, I, I think you would look at it and say, yeah, I'm, I'm all in on that. What I would like to see the Celtics do is, you know, maybe you pay him 25, 26, 27 million in that first year, and then you have that contract decline. So as he ages and his play starts to drop off a little bit, the contract reduces. You can only do it by 8% a year, but still that that's, that's helpful when when you're talking you know 20 plus million dollars you know that that starts to you know add up as you go down and then in that fourth year you know you've got a contract that's you know in that 18 million dollar year range or something like that yeah i was i was trying to do the mental math on that earlier i mean i, I guess i asked the same question because i that was i agree that that would be ideal but if that escrow is going up do you think that makes a regressive salary structure less likely for players to to sign into right now no i don't think so i i think you don't think so yeah you can't go too far with the escrow stuff because it starts to be like when they talk about it with you know me and my mortgage and i'm like cool but what's my monthly payment (laughs) i don't you know i don't know where all that's going i just know it's not money i get so you know well what do you need me to do um you know that's kind of the way these guys look look at it a little bit it's like all right how much money do i make and then you know and then they figure it out and and, you know and then let's be realistic too there's some 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 point of it where even if it was 10 percent escrow off 20 million dollar contract you know that's two million dollars you're still getting 18 million even if you cut that in half that's still nine million dollars a year and you're doing pretty good um and then there's the belief from the player side too that you may you may very well get that money back 
um, in future, you know, in the future, if the league recovers revenues and everything looks good, that money will come back to you, which is kind of what happened after the bubble. They did a little bit better, so they returned some of that escrow money back to some of the players. Keith, you mentioned that some teams are uh, focusing on the draft while others are focusing on the trade market. It seems like the Celtics are doing a little bit of both. We saw a bunch of rumors over the last week that they're trying to package all of their picks to move up, either to get a pick like Atlanta's at number six that they can send to the Pelicans for Drew Holiday, or uh, to pick a center like Onyeka Okongwu. Have you heard anything lately in terms of the Celtics related to the draft or trading those picks? Yeah, I mean, they're active. They're, they're talking, and they're, they are always active. The, the, there's this whole thing, especially it goes around on Twitter, of Danny Ainge never does anything, which is, you know, if you just pull up Danny Ainge's, you know, basketball reference page, like, Danny Ainge does a lot, a lot more than a lot of other GMs. Like, that's just kind of nonsense. It just it just feels that way because they've had a million picks, and, you know, and then you get all the, you know, it's close, you know, on this kind of stuff there. But as you go through it and, and look at it, you, you can feel – you know, comfortable that they're they're trying to do stuff. But here's what's really, really important. Teams don't trade up to a draft spot. They trade up for a player. That's why you see the vast majority of trades happening at the draft. They, they don't happen in advance. And, he, and then someone, you know, invariably someone will say, well, the Celtics did that with the 76ers. But Philly was trading up to number one, so they're trading up to get the guy they knew they wanted in Markel Folds. Um, so what you what you really want to see is if your Boston is whoever you have you know eyes on, and if it's Onyeka Konwu or if it's you know Devin Vassell or Patrick Williams or you know whoever it is, if you're looking at it and you're saying, man, that guy's still on the board at eight. You start calling the team with the eighth pick. I think that might be the next. You start calling them and saying, you know, hey, you know, we, we want to move up um, there. You don't move up today thinking, yeah, he'll be there at eight. Because if he's not, all of a sudden you're like, oh, crap. You know, that's the guy we were cool to move up and get. So that's why you see it develop. Austin Ainge talked about that again today where he said most deals come down when you're on the clock. You'll, you'll have conversations in advance, but but most of those deals happen when you're on the clock because you want to make sure you're moving up to get the guy you want. Mike, you mentioned that earlier to me before we started hit record here that, that uh, a report came out that Ainge had asked a Celtics player about how they would feel if the Celtics traded someone of value yes. for Drew Holiday, right? According to Farbad Esnashari, who I believe is on the, the Clippers beat, uh, he tweeted uh, that sources said Danny Ainge has called at least one key Celtics player regarding the possibility of trading for Drew Holiday. Uh, crediting Kevin O'Connor at the ringer for uh, first um, shedding light on the Celtics holiday interest. Uh, Keith, I think in the Celtics slack, you were, <laughs> you, you weren't quite sure what to make of this, but uh, I I'm, I'm here for it. If nothing other than just, <laughs> I, I love the rumors. Yeah, no, I, I don't, I don't know that reporter. I, I don't know. I, I am, uh, I, I, 
would trust that he's you know getting that from a good source but i don't you know it's always a little weird to me when it's not you know if it's Woj or chums or chris haynes or mark stein those guys are connected you know all over the league so when they have something from multiple different teams it's it's all good you know if this guy's based in la yeah sure maybe his connections because every player is through la at some point and in those kind of things but yeah it is um i'm always a little skeptical of it and we have you know 45 new people jump on the scene every you know time it's a nba trade season whether it's now or at the trade deadline that hear you know five million rumors and i just i start to wonder like all right where is this it's i don't ever think these people are lying it's just more where is it coming from and of course you're not going to say hey where'd you get this from because you don't outsources that way i just i just wonder that's not it's nothing i've heard it also wouldn't shock me i mean the smart front offices tend to involve their best players to an extent they're you know they're not going if danny Ainge thinks drew holiday trade is the right thing to do he's not going to care what anybody on the roster tells him yes or no he's just going to do it he's you know danny Ainge is comfortable enough in his position to do it but if he wants to you know look at it he may say to jason tatum like hey we have this opportunity for drew holiday you know what do you think How, what do you think of his game and see something you know and have that conversation a little bit it could even be somebody like kemba walker where if it's like hey you're not getting traded but your role is going to change you know, x y and z you know what would you think about this those kind of things versus you know just uh you know i'm just going to do it but but I, I don't i don't know that danny Ainge spends a lot of time running his trade ideas by his players i think he's pretty comfortable making those decisions all by himself what do you think about this uh opportunity for drew holiday even if a kemba or a gordon hayward or even a marcus smart has to be sent out in return uh, i would not do it if it was kemba i think that sends a really bad sign trade somebody you just signed a year ago um or you know a season ago um oh away um it's also not a great time where it's like oh this guy's starting to have maybe some health issues and boston's moving off him again um those are things you're just going to be careful of gordon hayward's a little bit of a different situation everybody understands what what the deal is there so if that was involved um with hayward smart gets a little harder because just to match salary you'd have to be smart plus other stuff and once you start doing smart and other stuff that starts to tilt a little too far to me towards like that that doesn't make sense and then you know invariably it'll be well what about a three-team trade what about a four-team trade just because trade machines let you do that doesn't mean that's you know a good thing uh these are not trades are not you know point click put a bunch of guys in press you know you know uh you know trade and it tells you yeah your trade's good like that's not how it works it's you know it's far more complicated than that that's why we don't see five million trades it's not fantasy sports um you know it doesn't work that way so so that's where as i whenever these things come up you start to look at it too and i think what gets forgotten as well is why do the pelicans do it you know does it make sense for them you know to to do you know x y and z or what what makes sense there and that's the thing you have to look at is you got to look at both sides in a trade because if you're only looking at through the celtics uh point of view there's a whole bunch of trades i'd make out there from the celtics side (laughs) that look great for them and not so good for the team they're trading with yeah that's the piece of the drew holiday thing that makes no sense to me i've never believed this drew holiday rumor or the rumor that he's that the pelicans would deal him at all it seems like they're 
if they want to stay relevant and, and start winning some games and get some playoff experience for Zion, you know, they're going to want to keep favors. They're going to want to keep their vets. And Holiday is kind of the one guy, the main guy, the glue guy, besides J.J. Redick, you know, in their locker room. So I just don't understand, you know, there, there was no part of this rumor that ever said, here's why they would do it. I, I do, well, there, if you... If you go a little bit deeper into it, you can start to see it. He's a free agent after the season. He has a player option. Um, it's going to be tough for them to their, – their roster is just going to get expensive very, very quickly. Uh, they're going to re-sign Brandon Ingram to a max yeah. deal this offseason. Um, then you've got the next offseason, you've got Lonzo Ball and Josh Hart to deal with. And then you're really only a year out then from, from signing Zion, which sounds insane because he's just wrapped up his rookie year, but that's how quick it moves in the NBA. So – so you're really, you know, starting to get into all right. How, you know, what is the threshold? And that's while adding players around them. So it makes sense too. There is a sense too that they might, as weird as it sounds, because this team only really came together in this past year, is it didn't work out with a playoff run. And there's a little bit of a look at it if you see it as we might have gone as far as we can go with this group. And I think the idea for the Pelicans is all right. The veterans, the Drew Holidays, the JJ Reddicks. Let's move those guys on. We'll go full youth. We'll build around this because the West is just so deep. It's going to be hard to crack that playoff group um, right now. So why are we going to push in with these vets? If we can get guys who in four or five years, as some of these other teams, you know, the Lakers, the Clippers, they age out a little bit. We'll be the ones ready to step in then when our younger guys are a little bit more ready to step forward. Yeah, and I mean, that does make sense to me for the Pelicans, but to your point, I mean, you know, either the Celtics would have to trade smart to give them someone on their timeline or closer to it, or there would have to be a third team, you know, and I've spent, because, uh, you know, NBA 2K and NBA Live have taught me that trades are, in fact, just, you know, pointing and clicking and not actually really complicated (laughs) transactions involving actual real humans. Uh, uh, you know, on the on the trade machine, you can you can envision you know getting Gordon Hayward maybe over to uh, an Indiana and and getting like you know you can try to talk yourself into someone like Turner and T.J. Warren going to um, and and some lower picks going to New Orleans and that being somewhat interesting to them. Or if you know, I, I agree, it would be a terrible look. Uh, but I do think there would be a, an elegance from the, the perspective of the Celtics' defensive potential in switching yeah. uh, Kemba for Drew Holiday. And, you know, if, if you did a three-team trade with someone like the Knicks and you send some of the Knicks' younger assets and their eight-pick over to the Pelicans, there could be something interesting there with Kemba ultimately getting going to New York, which might be interesting for them. Um, yeah, but, I, worry but about I, you know, those Celtics. are really hard. Yeah. Yeah, and what I would worry about is, you know, and this is part of the reason why, like on Twitter and the like, that I don't do a lot of, you know, when people send me the, you know, 400 fake trades that I get, you know, a day, I don't, because if I answer one, then I'm going to get bogged down in, you know, 50 of them. And so I don't really want to do that. But, but when, when I look at the Celtics, when you take aside the, the, you know, um, the way it looks to trade Kemba Walker, um, if you were to trade him, let's just talk about the basketball piece. What was Boston's problem in the playoffs with scoring at the end of games? It wasn't their defense. 
The defense was fine. What does Drew Holiday fix in place of Kemba Walker? That's what I worry about. Now, if you're going to come back with, well, I'm concerned about his knee. I don't know if he'll make it. Those things I can't really counter. Those those are all fair arguments to make. But I look at it and say the Celtics couldn't score at the end of those playoff games against Toronto. They had a lot of trouble. And then they had a lot of, lot of trouble against Miami, putting the ball in the basket. And that's where I look at it and I say, so wait, there are people literally who want to come out of this offseason with Gordon Hayward off the team and Kemba Walker off the team, two of their better offensive creators. Like what to to make the defense better? I mean, unless you're talking, you know, being like the you know nineteen nineties Knicks and holding teams to sixty points per game, like that, and that's not going to happen. Um, yeah, I don't I don't understand the desire to move off guys who are good offensive players when offense has been more of an issue for this team than the defense ever has been. I think that's a trend too for for Brad Stevens' teams in his Celtics tenure. You know, I feel like his defensive. The defense has always been better than the offense, and there's always been, you know, and it was more clear when we had worse teams that, you know, they would go through lulls in scoring, and it's almost like we missed that with this team because we just have so much talent, but I think it's remained true. Yeah, it absolutely is true, and you you look at it, there's no good reason for it. Yeah. Right. When you look at it, you they should have been better at the end of games in offense. And part of it is it you know it devolves into a little bit of that one on one ball and a little bit of ISO ball. Now I'm not going to rip Brad Stevens for that because every single team in the league goes that way at the end of games. Even the very best teams they go into a pick and roll to get to a matchup they want, and then they attack out of that. Um, you know, maybe you could say all right, we'll be different then, right? Just run what you run. But defenses don't really play that way either they they kind of play you know man on ball and then a little bit of zone off ball where it's you know just that they're going to overload and try to keep keep it from getting to one guy but yeah i I, that that's i just when i really look at and i start to break it down when when i was really getting into the offseason i was like they just can't lose these offensive guys because the offense already had had enough problems. If anything, I'd be looking at another creator, um, you know, ideally someone who could come off the bench and score um, because they, they just need that. There's just not anybody who can – who would – I shouldn't say there's not anybody who can't go get a bucket at the end of the games, but there wasn't anybody going and getting buckets at the end of the games, and that's going to get figured out. Yeah, well, I mean – the I. With Kemba, I think you you hit it on the head as far as, you know, with smaller with smaller guards that have defensive limitations, with Kemba Walker is, and his defense all season was much more competitive and effective than I think his repu- the reputation that preceded him would suggested it would have been. But he's still smaller, and he still got picked on in the playoffs, right? The Heat still targeted him. The Raptors targeted him a bit. Um but with a player as dynamic as Kemba, if his offense is really clicking, it, it more than makes up for that. And, at, you know, even as it was, I think he was still a pretty clear positive, like from the advanced stats uh, during the playoff run. But, mm-hmm. but if he is limited in his effectiveness um, offensively, and he did have trouble getting, you know, getting past the elite defense of the Heat and uh, was certainly bottled up. Um, for major parts of that series against the Raptors, then it it does kind of raise a, a I think a fair question as to as to what the ceiling of the team is um, in the playoffs with him as kind of their primary offensive engine. Now a lot of that gets offset if Jason Tatum continues to develop and becomes more and more sophisticated as a playmaker, which 
everything to this point in his career suggests he'll continue to do because he like grew leaps and bounds just over like the whatever four weeks of the playoffs. Um, but but I, I think for me that's the question that lingers with Kemba. I, I love Kemba. I think he brings a ton. I agree fully that he's an important engine for our offense. Uh, but I do worry um, about the knee, about some of the the signs that we're showing in the in the playoffs and. You know, it's like the Stephs and Kyries that have kind of overcome their defensive limitations because their offense is that great. Plus, Kyrie had, you know, this guy named LeBron next to him. <laughs> um, uh, and so, the, you know, I wonder whether Kemba, Kemba can be great enough on offense to overcome some of the shortcomings he has on the defensive end. And that is, com- you know, completely fair. I, I think those are all, you know, qu- questions to ask. I just, my, my thing is that's, that's good i just you know what does drew holiday do then on that end you know if that if that's where you're going now if you're saying you know you know package a whole bunch of crap together and go get james harden well that's a whole different conversation right now we're talking about you know a whole different thing entirely and i and i'm and by no means am i suggesting that's going to happen it doesn't seem like Harden wants any part of that and you know and i don't know that that's where you know Ainge really wants to go i, I think i think right now the celtics you know goal is find the right players who fit around Jason Tatum into a very slightly lesser extent Jalen Brown um you know find the right kind of guys who are okay to you know um understand you know hey those are the guys here like like that's you know those are the guys who are going to get us there and I think in Walker and Hayward they have those guys now Drew Holiday would certainly be one of those guys but then on you know when you look at the true basketball strategy it's like just well, what is he going to give you that that you don't get on the offensive end of the court from Kemba Walker, and that that's that's where I struggle. So I don't I don't know where that upgrade comes from. If you need that 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 is reasonable while also maximizing the growth of Tatum, I think your your better off hope is anything you've lost or lose with Kemba you gain in the growth from Tatum and Brown. And if anything, I'd like to see Jason Tatum become far more assertive at the end of games and say, all right, if this is the way we're going to do this, we're going to do this ISO thing, then it's going to be me. And it is going to go through me on every single trip. And I think we're getting closer and closer to seeing him be that guy. And he also needs to go back to remembering how to finish strong through contact consistently the way he was doing in like January and February and then forgot at the beginning of the bubble. He's kind of started to remember by the end of the playoffs, but um, that that's going to be a key part of his growth. But I like that you brought up uh, Harden as, a, as a, a kind of perspective target, not because we want to talk about the Celtics as a, um, pursuing Harden. I, I think that's for a lot of reasons unlikely to happen, but uh, curious to get your take on what the heck is going on in Houston right now. <laughs> um, and, you know, about two hours ago, uh, Adrian Wojnarowski tweeted out that Houston tried to extend Harden for two years, uh, basically two years, $103 million on top of the remaining, what is it, like two years plus a player option at 133 or, or so on, on uh, Harden's current yeah. contract. Yep, yep. Um, and Harden turned that down and has made clear his interest in going to the Nets. Um, and obviously there's been all the murmurs with Westbrook. So, I mean, what do you, do you think there's some credence here? Do you, would you rate it as likely that Harden ends up on the Nets? What's your take on what's going on? 
a hundred percent there is you know truth to that if it comes from Woj, you can you know run to the bank with it you you know it's all real and it's you know happening the way he's he's laying it out now the question becomes what in the world is going on in houston and then the answer is nothing good right they they lost their coach they lost their gm and now their players are like yeah i'm good i'm ready to go too and i think you know westbrook i think it's clear russell westbrook wants his own team he he wants to be the man on his own team where he's kind of the guy and go back to the way it was in oklahoma city post kevin durant that's you can think what you want about that. I I don't think that's great, especially as he continues to get a little older. And I'm not the biggest uh, you know guy out there who's going to scream Westbrook sucks and he's overrated because I don't know that that's true. I, I think Russell Westbrook is a pretty good player. I just think it's just be the man running a, a team all by himself. Harden, I think, is then looking at it and saying, yeah, this has gone about as far as it can go. I, you know, dragged these guys to the postseason for a long time by myself. Then we got Chris Paul. We gave it a pretty good run. Then didn't get get over the top there. Then we made this trade for Russ. That didn't go well. Now my coach is gone. My GM is gone. I want out of here too. And when you when you're turning down fifty million dollars a season, you know that says to me, yeah, I'm done. Because we know in the NBA, it, guys all the time, I'll take that. And then a year later, they'll be like, I want traded. Yo, he he is clearly sending signs he wants to go. Sounds like by all the reports he wants to go play in Brooklyn. Sounds like there's a lot of mixed uh, feedback coming out of the Nets. I would not be surprised if uh, old friend Kyrie Irving is a little more questionable about, about that. I jokingly said if they're going to bring in Harden, they need to do that deal where they try that three hoops and, you know, three balls at once and, you know, play that whatever that weird thing that pops up every summer when we're all bored. And they're like, this is what basketball should look like um, because I don't know how the hell you make it work with those three guys who all need those touches. And Harden and Kyrie are not great off-ball players. They can both shoot, but they don't cut. That's generous. Move, you know, so, yeah, I mean, yeah, they're not great spot-up shooters. They're not great catch-and-shoot guys. So, yeah, so that, that makes it tough. So, yeah, Houston, uh, this thing's getting torn down. It's, you know, whether they let it drag into the season or it's or it's in, you know, the summer um, after the year. Now, you asked, the, do I – think it'll get done with Brooklyn I don't know because I think Houston does believe you know hey let's run this I know that the Rockets are wary um, about kind of becoming irrelevant nobody wants to be irrelevant in the NBA right now that's really tough to do especially with everything going on you want to keep eyes on your team you want to keep keep people watching so I think with James Harden that you know he at least keeps you competitive we've seen what he can do by himself so I don't know that anything gets done with Brooklyn right now because I also don't know that the Nets can make the absolute best offer uh, to the Rockets and the Rockets in the end Harden can want to go wherever he wants but their goal is to make the best trade for themselves. Yeah, the whole thing about Harden to the Nets, too, as Scalabrini brought it up on Scal and Pals' his podcast with Ryan McDonough, that you know if you're the Nets, why would you trade Dinwiddie, Levert, Jared Allen, Terry and Prince? You know, those are your, your role players. Those are the guys you need to fill out the roster. Why not just trade Kyrie straight up you know, or yeah. add something in there? And then you team up Durant with Harden, and you have all the peripheral pieces to to really be maybe the most competitive team in the whole Eastern Conference, you know. And and McDonough added that you know the other piece to this is Houston is the only team without a first or second round pick in the draft this year. 
they're giving up all their future picks to OKC. So the idea of trading Harden now to be able to get some draft picks back, you know, maybe maybe it's the right time, but maybe not for that deal. I think there would be a lot of a lot of Schadenfreude and in, in a lot of Schadenfreude <laughs> in the the Boston area if Kyrie got swapped out for Harden and got stuck with uh, Tillman Fertitta. <laughs> yeah, there would not <laughs> be a single tear shed in in the entirety of New England over that. I don't one. think so. Um, you know, I, I will also say to from the Rocket side, yeah, you want picks, but I think what you're looking at is. How good are those picks going to be? Now, I know we lived through that with the Celtics, right? There was like, how good are those Nets picks going to be? But that was also trading old players that you knew. Some of these guys only have a couple years left in Paul Pierce, KG, Jason Terry. Um, when if you're trading James Harden, you know, all right, well, the Nets are going to be pretty good, you know, for the next couple years. So you got to start to look at, all right, can we push those picks further out? Can they be in, you know, 2023, 2024, uh, 2025, you know, swap rights in between all the things that you can do there because you're kind of looking, all right, after KD's gone, after Harden's gone, I want to kind of own them then. And that gets a little tricky. And I think Sean Marks is smart enough too that I don't know that he's going to completely mortgage the future. Because, again, Sean Marks lived through trying to build a team when you don't have anything to build from. you know, And he did a remarkable job with taking that Nets team really from nothing to a very good team in fairly short order. So I th- think as you, you know really kind of get into it, I just don't know. I think the Rockets would rather go to a team where it's, you know, even if the, from the Rockets side, I'd rather send them somewhere, you know, I'm not saying they'd be interested, but send him to Minnesota and then have Minnesota have him, you know, a year later be like, I don't want to be here and force his way out of there. And they crash and burn. And now all of a sudden you've got you've got their whole thing. So it'll be interesting. I thought it was interesting in Woj's article tonight, too. He noted like Harden sees this as a two year window. Well, maybe that does entice you a little bit more. Hey, if he's only looking at it at two years, you know, then let me get your picks because if he's out of there in two years, you're not going to be very good. So it's, mm-hmm. it's certainly something to keep an eye on. I just don't know that we see it like right now. But you know, it wouldn't. It also wouldn't shock me at all if we did. And it won't be for Kyrie. <laughs> That's not going to happen. <laughs> Everybody's focusing on uh, Harden and Westbrook. If they're blowing it up, I'm interested in Covington. I'm interested in PJ Tucker. There's some other players on the team that are are yeah, going to be of interest to contenders. Yeah, absolutely. There, there, there's people already circling around those guys. Even if it's just Westbrook, there, there, those are you know two two guys. Especially PJ Tucker, he only makes seven million dollars or so. So that's a very easily tradable contract. Uh, you know, or he makes just under eight. Uh, Covington makes just over 12. So, again, a very easy-to-move contract. I would keep an eye on with Covington if they start doing a full-scale teardown. Covington makes a ton of sense for the Warriors into the Iguodala trade exception. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think that's a move. They should be all over that. Um, and they can they can offer some stuff, you know, to the Rockets for, for Covington. That makes sense there. P.J. Tucker, he's a guy, you know, again, at $8 million. They, heck, the Celtics could throw together a couple contracts and go get P.J. Tucker without sacrificing too much. And, you know, and a really pick or two. Go that route. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, you could throw a couple picks their way as well. So, yeah, there, there's really no shortage of, of guys there. I, don't, I, I mean, we're, we've all gotten off the Daniel House 
jokes um after you know his nonsense in the bubble <laughs> but uh but you know he's another guy that teams could look at and say 3.7 million sure not a problem even eric gordon at 16.8 if you had the ability to throw them an expiring deal that wasn't so good um and you needed a bench scoring guard eric gordon's a guy who can help you and is very movable so there is how many a chance years does he have left team. That's the challenge with Gordon is um, he goes all the way out uh, four more seasons. Uh, last year is yeah. not guaranteed. Um, so, you know, I don't – you'd have to win a championship for it to get guaranteed. Um, but, you know, so, you know, but 18, 19 million the two years after that, that's not the end of the world for a guy who can score the way he can. He should age fairly well. It's just, you, you know, he's probably going to give you 60 games or so a year in a regular season. So, you know, but, yeah, it's not – I think there's a chance this Rockets team is uh, we're all looking at it and saying, who who are these guys? You know, what, what, what are we doing here? And they're kind of starting all over again. There, That chance certainly exists. Well, if uh, Harden goes to the Nets, Ray Allen has chimed in saying uh, he doesn't think it's going to work out too well. He thinks it might be a train wreck. Uh, and, of course, Perk on the other side has said that Ray Allen was the only one that had problems accepting his role that whole time. Interesting. <laughs> you know, what's Celtics funny, though, takes he did it. on a big three situation. <laughs> But he did it. Yeah, yeah, he did. Yeah, he did it. I mean, and, and I think I, I do think Ray Allen had the hardest time of anybody, you know, uh, of the, of that group because Ray Allen was a guy who, you know, in Seattle, basically every play was run for him except for the handful they threw to Rashard Lewis um, towards the end of his time there. So yeah, I'm not surprising at all that um, you know where Ray Allen would would have been the guy who's like, oh man, you know, I'm I just don't have a you know. Uh, I don't, you know, I'm doing a lot of spotting up. I'm doing, I'm not being run off cuts. I'm really not getting to run any kind of uh, pick and roll ball handling or anything like that. So, you know, it's really just kind of, um, you know, it just, you know, that was a tough sacrifice for him where Pierce just kind of did what he did. KG at that point in his career, I think, was ready to take a slightly, um, you know, lesser role, especially offensively. But, yeah, so I don't blame Ray Allen. And, you know, I, I would trust with Ray Allen, too. If anybody's got firsthand knowledge of, you know, how it could all go bad, he's certainly the one to tell you because he very much could have made it go bad in Boston. With the Celtics here, so we'll be watching for Hayward's option tomorrow at 5 p.m. They've got the draft coming up on Wednesday. Uh, there's some potential big moves that are happening here, but uh, assuming Hayward opts in, they also have the taxpayer MLE, which is by just under $6 million, right? If Hayward opts out, I'm assuming that means they get the full MLE, there are some other moves they can make. I've seen um, some rumors tying the Celtics to interest in a sign and trade with Davis Bertans, that that kind of a thing. Just, I think mostly because they were interested in him at the uh, yeah. trade deadline. This team could use some some veteran minimum guys, uh, some veterans that, that could that have some some experience uh, and some grit. What what do you see? What smaller moves do you see happening for the Celtics this offseason? All right, well, we'll get into real some real fun, exciting cap nerd stuff here that people are going to yeah. really. You know, they'll be all angry at Danny Ainge if this is all he does. I think they're going to trade Poirier, Edwards, Cantor, um, maybe all together. They'll, they'll add picks to those guys to get off those contracts. They're probably not going to get anything back. For any any of them, that's of any value. I pitched, um, <laughs> you have kind of pitched repeatedly trading Edwards and Poirier to the to the Pistons with the thirtieth pick, 
just for the what what that would do for the cap um, savings. Um, I can tell you right now, the Celtics, it, if unless Gordon Hayward opts out and leaves, they're not doing a, a deal where they acquire a player via sign and trade. They can't. They 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 would be hard capped. And if you're already over the tax apron, which Boston is right now, you can't do a sign and trade anyway. It's not allowed. So, you know, those things are just not there. And there are people who, well, Mike Zarin will figure out a way around it. He's a genius. There's not a way around the hard cap. It is a hard cap. There's, you know, you, you, you have to shed money somehow to make that happen. Now, maybe, you know, they could do a sign and trade where it's, you know, they, they send out more than they bring back. But even that's pretty limiting. So I think you're going to see some salary dumps, I think you're going to see Edwards maybe moved on from Poirier moved on from I don't think there's any chance in the world they use all three first round picks on three rookies who are on this roster next year I think even if they keep all three you're going to see a guy drafted to be on the team a draft and stash and then I think that that third pick I said keep all three but I think that third pick would ultimately be flipped for a future first round pick or something like that down the line or used to dump salary so so I don't think you'll see you know all those rookies the second round pick maybe that's drafted to you know, replace taco fall or Tremont waters on a two-way contract if either one of those guys is elevated to the main roster or goes elsewhere um so yeah i think i think the potential exists of course for the celtics to make a big move because it's danny ainge he's always you know looking at stuff he's always interested in things but i think it's more likely what you see is kind of the team comes back looking fairly similar to what they are now with moves around the edges and then i think they use that um the, the taxpayer mid-level exception of 5.7 million and maybe they go after a guy like a harry giles or a wing or two um and i think you're absolutely right i think after last year adding so many rookies they would love to add some vets with the vet minimum it's just going to come down to how many roster spots are open or not and i think that's where guys like brad wanamaker javante green semi ogile they might get squeezed off of this roster just because the celtics would rather bring in a couple veterans that can play you know guys like alec parks or glenn robinson the third who played on the minimum last year those could be the kind of targets for boston this offseason you, you touched about talked about the um the the taxpayer mid-level do you could you see, I mean, you mentioned Harry Giles or some wings. You know, we've talked uh, in past episodes about some potential big targets that would be ideal for, from our perspective, including like a Marcus Gasol perhaps or uh, old friend Aaron Baines. Could you see, you know, have you heard anything about them being potential targets or, or players of interest for the Celtics? Um, not, not really. I've asked about Aaron Baines around. I don't. There was bad feelings when Baines was traded because he had opted in with the assumption he was staying, and then he got sent sent away, and that wasn't wasn't great um, there. But I think everybody's over that now, so that wouldn't surprise me if he came in as kind of the Cantor replacement, as you know, but just the opposite, right? Because he plays defense and rebounds, and Cantor is more offensively focused. Um, so I think there would be interest there. He's definitely tight with some of the guys on the team. He was pretty tight with Gordon Hayward. Um, they had formed a pretty good friendship. So, um, you know, that one, maybe if Hayward is still around, those two could, you know, um, you know, kind of reconnect and that could, you know, draw him back to the Celtics and those kind of things. The challenge is I think they're going to have plenty of competition for him um, and where teams may have the bigger mid-level exception, the non-taxpayer of, you know, about $9.3 million. 
or so, I think that's where it's going to get a little harder. They just might get outbid um, for Aaron Baines. And that's, you know, if, if it is, then so be it, and you, you move on to the next guy. Um, Marcus Hall, I, I don't know. I think Marcus Hall is either going to play in Toronto or probably head back to Spain and, you know, play a year or two in Spain and then, then retire and call it a career. I don't know that he's overly interested in changing teams and those kind of things at this point in his career. Um, Keith, I'm curious, you know, the, the scenario that you laid out is also what I think is most likely where we see a very similar team, but I'm worried about the types of veterans that we could get. I'm really not interested in an Alec Burks or, or uh, a Glenn Robinson III. Um, I think I'm curious if you think that if we were to make a trade and if we're involving Hayward, whether the idea of shoring up the, those bench roles that we kind of see as holes right now is worth the gamble of that. You know, like the idea of a, a trading Hayward to the Bulls for Sadoransky, you know, six seven point guard who would fill in that Wanamaker spot ideally, I think. And um, and the fourth pick that they have to maybe get a you know the five man that we've been looking for, um, as well as maybe getting a Thaddeus Young. Um, even if we have to get rid of picks, I keep going back and forth. If we were going to make a trade like that, that would only be if Hayward decides he's not interested in staying with the Celtics long term, and we got to make a deal. You know, I I, I don't know whether I sure. value those bench roles, and do you think we really need to fit those bench roles with you know the missing five spot? Uh, ideally, someone who's a little stronger to guard Embiid, and that Wanamaker role that you know is a, is a vital role for us. Yeah, I, I, my challenge there is it goes back to what we talked about before. Why would the Bulls give up the fourth pick in that? Right, I don't you know because you're really looking at it as it almost kind of breaks down to two separate trades. It's Hayward for you know uh, Sederensky and Young, and then it's the picks for the fourth pick. Because Hayward doesn't have right. enough value to the Bulls over that. So I don't think the Bulls would do that. Um, they might do the player part of it. I just think the picks part is where it gets to be a little like, eh, that 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 goes a little you know out there. there there's merit to it, though. It, it's not one of those things where I'm like, God, that's insane. You know, get, get out of here with that. I just don't know that the fourth pick would be involved. But the kind of your bigger question about the bench spots, yeah. I don't know that I would do it at the expense of Gordon Hayward. I think what I would rather trust in is that Grant Williams is ready to take a little bit of a bigger role. Romeo Langford gets healthy and can take on a bigger role. Um, you know, and those younger guys are you know more ready to step up and step into a bigger role, and then you can sign a free agent or two to take to to kind of play that more veteran side. That's where you know you go get an Aaron Baines, and now there's your big body, you know, to to play in the middle when you need a you know slightly bigger guy. Um, that that those are the things that I would you know, want to bank on more than going and getting veterans. And I say this as I love Thomas Sadoransky. I uh, you know I think he's really good and I think he can help a lot of teams. I'm not a big Thaddeus Young guy because the other thing too is I think if you're the Celtics, what you're looking for is now I need depth to get through the regular season. But what I really need is guys who are going to help me win playoff series. And is Thaddeus Young going to help you win a playoff series? Probably not. What I would worry about is if you did something like that, now you have a hole to fill where Hayward's gone. And all right, so maybe you, you put Smart in the starting five, but now you don't have Smart off your bench, so you weakened that part of your bench. Now you've got Young and Sadoransky, so maybe Sadoransky can kind of play Smart's role, but then you don't have Young, and I would worry by the end of the season, everybody's 
I'd rather have Grant Williams on the floor than Thaddeus Young. And now all of a sudden you've traded out of one position of strength to try to fill other holes, but you created holes while doing that. So those are the things I worry about a little bit because I get now, let me say, if you can get those two guys in the fourth pick, you, you do it. You just say, good, go. You know, and you, you figure it out as you go, and you, you go because that fourth pick, you know, that guy slides right in, you know, to the timeline with the other young guys, and you're really off and running there, and you figure it out and hope for the best, and you fill whatever holes you have. I just don't think that the fourth pick would really be on the table in that way. So let's say we get we get to next season, and we still don't really have that bigger center. You know, we kind of look very similar. Let's say, you know, we get – let's say we re-sign Wanamaker for the same deal, you know, and, and we're going back as mm-hmm. that same team. Do you don't you feel like we still have holes in those spots? Because I, I we on this podcast from the beginning a year ago we've been going back and forth about how important or how yeah how important are these holes to fill? Are they really holes or not? You know, for much of the season it seemed like wait a minute we don't have a hole at the five spot. Tice is playing out of his mind. Then in the yep. playoffs we go back to oh yeah we do. Well, I I don't know. I think that's a little unfair because I thought he played great in the first round against Philly. I thought he outplayed Joel Embiid for the, you know, a vast majority of that series. Yeah, Embiid would have put up some put and did put up some big scoring numbers, but if you look, Embiid would, was done by halftime yeah. of every game. Now, some of that was Philly's own circumstances. Um, but you know, so I, I think, you know, I thought Tice played good there. I thought he was excellent against Toronto, and then I think he ran a little bit out of gas, but his problem um, against Miami wasn't that he wasn't big enough. It's just he was going against the one of the only other centers who's faster and quicker than him and also stronger in Bam Adebayo. There's just not a lot of guys who you know match up great with Bam Adebayo. So my question starts to become is who do we need that big body for? Well, you need it for Embiid because as well as Tice played him in the playoffs, that's not going to happen all the time. Um, you know, we've seen Embiid, you know, go absolutely bananas on the Celtics in the past. Um, so, so you want you want that. I think you need that bigger body. Um, and then I think you need a bench score. You need somebody who can come off the bench and score. Um, I know a lot of people say, well, put Hayward on the bench or do something like that. I don't think that's the real answer. Um, but you just you got to have somebody who can come off on those nights where, you know, it's just, you know, it's not going so well. And I'm going to throw that guy in there and I know he's going to, you know, give a spark. He's going to get 15, 20 points and I can feel pretty good about it. And on the nights where that guy's off, then you just don't play him and you move on. I think those are, to me, as you look at the roster today as currently constructed, those are kind of the bigger holes. I'm with you that I think you probably do need a slightly bigger center to, to do some stuff, and then I think you need someone who can score some points off the bench. And I, I know everybody wants vets for this team, and probably the team does too. I think you can get a player who can score off the bench at number 14. I think there's some really good shooters who, you know, in our system are going to complement things really well and hit three or four threes a game off the bench. Um, and obviously we got the roster crunch if we use all those picks. But let's talk about the draft a little bit. Anybody that you're excited about, Keith, or targets you, you have fallen in love with? Um, the guys I really have fallen in love with are all like later first round guys. Um, like kid Emmanuel quickly out of Kentucky. 
I think that kid's going to be awesome in the pros. He really defends. He can rebound for a smaller guard, and he shoots the crap out of the ball. So I love that kid. Um, but, yeah, if you're talking like the 14th pick or if they moved up slightly, I really like Devin Vassell. I, I think he would be a you know, really good fit on the Celtics with his shooting ability. I think he's somebody who could really, really help help the team. I don't know that he's going to be there at 14, um, but that's one of those ones where, right, we talked about you trade up for a player. If Boston really liked him, I could see the Celtics saying, or right, what do we got to get to? We got to get to eight to get him, you know, because he's on the board now. We don't think he's going to make it past there. Then maybe you can figure something out to, something out to get up to eight. Um, I want to be cautious if i was the celtics with i don't want to draft excuse me i'm getting the hiccups i'm not getting all choked up about the draft i promise <laughs> um i just get the hiccups um i don't i think you want to be cautious of not drafting too much over romeo langford and right. over grant williams those guys aren't so great that you you know if somebody falls in your lap you don't pick them you know it's not like those two have established themselves as you know all-time great celtics or anything um but you want to make sure that they still have their run and their ability to develop and those kind of things i i I would like to see them come out of this draft or free agency one or the other with another ball handler for the bench i want to believe it's tremont waters i just kind of don't um, I haven't seen enough out of him that, that I, I'd rather see him back on another two-way. Maybe he's the third point guard developmental guy. Um, but, you know, that's why I kind of look at it, like a Cole Anthony, which, right, if there's a player in this draft who fits kind of the age yeah. profile, it's Cole Anthony, right? Highly recruited kid, struggled a little bit, can't really shoot, tough, though, defense. Like, well, that sounds like an age guard to me. Um, so, yeah, the, those are kind of the guys I'm looking at. But, yeah, I like Devin Vassell. Um, you know, I know a lot of people keep keep talking about a Kong Wu and, uh, you know, those kind of guys. But I just – I don't know that Boston can get high enough in the draft where those guys make sense for them. I like uh, Tyrell Terry out of Stanford too, another guard who can really, really shoot it. Um, I, I think he's pretty good too. So, you know, it, it's coming down to – I think, you know, my one thing in common, I'd like to see him add more shooting because I, I don't think that ever goes out of style. And Danny Ainge even said so much uh, a week ago in his pre-draft media availability where he said, I, I don't think you can ever have enough shooting. Yeah, I feel like this draft, actually, as much as people talk about how flat it is and, and how weird it is and no one no one <laughs> agrees on any one player, I feel like this draft, we can all agree, has a lot of shooting in it. You know, the players you just mentioned can shoot. Halliburton's yeah. a really good shooter. Desmond Bain... Sadiq Bay, Aaron Neesmith. I mean, these are all guys shooting over 42% from three, you know, which is a pretty big deal, I feel like. Um, and there's even guys, I feel like, in the second round that can fill it up. If, if you know, Jemias Ramsey and Jordan Wara are two guys who also are really good shooters. I, I feel like that's underreported, is how good the shooters are in this draft. And all of those guys, I feel like, are available at some of the Celtics' picks and, and would be able to shore up our bench. Yeah, absolutely, and I think you, as you um, pointed out too, it, it's I think it's a testament to how much these kids work on skill development now. Um, there was a period of time where it felt like every single kid who came into the NBA draft could run and jump, 
you know, and they, you know, were these incredible athletes, but then it took a long time for them to become good basketball players. And I think we're still seeing good athletic kids, but I think now the player development uh, at the youth level, at the high school level, at the AAU, and at the college level has gotten enough better that these guys are coming in and they, they're really skilled players too. There's certainly the guys who you look at and like, well, that guy's tall, he's fast, he can run, he can jump, um, and that's really all you kind of want. But, but yeah, it's not, um, you know, I don't think there's quite as many of those guys as there once was. There's a ton of rumors out there. We're going to be watching what happens and following you, Keith Smith, at Keith Smith NBA on Twitter. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it's going to be a fun week. I know you need to rest up to be ready for it. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was, uh, I was, I, I will, you know, cop to. I was monitoring Tweet Deck as we were recording here, just to make sure I wasn't missing anything. And uh, me too. Uh, Don't worry. Nothing, nothing <laughs> big has happened. Yeah, right. This, this is the time. It, it's funny. I said the other day, you know, when I left to do basketball full time, I couldn't imagine, you know, trying to get through my old nine to five job while I was like sitting here, like trying to monitor Tweet Deck. I would have been sitting in meetings doing the whole uh-huh yep yeah no that sounds good yeah we can do that and then two weeks later somebody would be like why did you commit to that we can't possibly let that happen it's like oh, i don't know that must have been during the nba off season so yeah it's gonna be a lot of fun i appreciate you guys having me on you know thank you so much and you know hopefully the celtics do something big and give us a lot to talk about that would be fun thanks for listening everyone rest in peace tommy heinson <laughs>